Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Guts and Grind. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're interviewing Apoorva Sangvi. He's an amazing real estate investor. He's a wealth of knowledge. We got to talk to him and he shared with us about his company, his business in investing, but he also is a mortgage broker and a real estate broker as well. So he's just a wealth of knowledge. And uh, we're looking forward to you hearing from him. I agree, Saj. And uh, you know, there's a lot of things we pulled out of this interview, commercial real estate, we dipped into that residential, the journey Aparva had from, you know, beginning to end and kind of where he's kind of seeing himself. So it was a very good experience and hope you guys enjoy this interview session with Aparva. You're listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin, making the real estate journey accessible to anyone. All right, Apoorva, thanks for joining us. I guess let's just dive right into it. So give us a quick introduction, like what's your background and, you know, all that good stuff. Oh, man. Well, Houston born and raised. So, you know, H-Town, ride or die forever, obviously. But no, I mean, um, you know, the professional life really started kind of around around early college, actually. Getting out of high school, I went to U of H. And as soon as I kind of started, interestingly enough, I fell into an opportunity to become a loan officer. This was like date myself, but like early 2000s, right? And so at that time, there wasn't a lot of like licensing requirements. So I ended up becoming a full-time loan officer while I was going to school. And honestly, it was a, a blessing in disguise because it allowed me to kind of pay for college while I was, you know, kind of learning kind of the trade. And I started kind of more on the finance side of real estate. Um, and honestly, I've kind of built a business around that to this date. But that's kind of where the journey started. I was exposed to real estate. Um, my family's in it. You know, my, my uncle, he was in commercial real estate. So kind of was always just kind of, we would like go to his properties and things like that as we were kids and just kind of got exposed to things like that. My parents too, they're kind of involved in it. But yeah, so in general, that's how the fire got started. And then just from there, man, it just, you know, just stayed with it and continued to develop. You know, real estate investing was, you know, something more later in my career, but transactional stuff, which where I was financing and then ultimately kind of started a real estate team too. So like, you know, that's more transactional. Now, now we heavily invest in real estate. That's awesome. You kind of talked about family. Uh, was there, you said your uncle and then your parents as well. Was that like the driving force to say, hey, man, like I could see this is a real thing that could be a, a career for me or like unpack that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So like definitely my uncle, we had a relationship and a bond around real estate, you know, okay. growing up, he would kind of expose me to it, talk to me about it. And that, I mean, perked my ears up and it was cool because he had like all kinds of crazy, you know, different types of properties, right? From like shopping centers to, you know, it. And so it kind of opened up, like my parents have only done single family res residential stuff. Right. And like, it opened my eyes up to like, whoa, you can do all kinds of real estate. Right. Yeah. And so like, as a young pup, I was like, man, this is, this is cool to own a building. Like, wow. Like, you know, like it, that was, that was interesting. And so, you know, that was the early stuff. And then, like I said, you know, kind of matured, you know, I'll talk a little bit about the, kind of the evolution of kind of honing in on an asset class over time, which is something, you know, I think is important for every, you know, aspiring real estate investor, at least right. To kind of think about that, but yeah, you know, kind of definitely expanded my vision of what, what to look for when it came to real estate. That's awesome. Yeah. I love hearing that. Cause like, there's always a, an origin story and I think what you were saying, like you saw it happen, like, cause that, that's how it was for me. I saw other people, like my parents aren't specifically in real estate, like the way we are, but I saw other people in our community doing it and it made it real. It made, you know what I mean? Like it made it real for me to be yeah. like, oh, that's an actual thing that I could do. And it, it was later on in life when I actually dived in, but I just love hearing it. And that, that's kind of why we do the show. Cause we want to make sure that, Hey, it's real. Like we're just normal people. Like all three of us, we're just normal regular people. Right. I and mean, you and I went to school together. Right. Like, you exactly know, right. since yeah. like, you know, since high school and stuff like that. So like, and we're just regular people and we were able to do this. We we're able to make something out of real estate. Right. So I, I love hearing that. That's awesome. And I think culturally, that's what it was. You know, there's a lot of people that built wealth that, that are in our older generations, but we never heard of it. Like, right. And that's, that's what you're kind of alluding to, right. It's just like, you see it happen. You're like, oh yeah, so-and-so uncle owns this building, but we don't know. And we, and we don't know like what the full, ex you know, extent of that is. And that's what, that's what the whole purpose of the podcast is. Right. So what, like we, we know that you kind of said that you started off kind of, you know, transactionally into real estate with loans and things like that, but what kind of piqued your interest into actually investing in real estate? Like what, like that, that transition, what did that, what did that kind of look like? Yeah. I mean, you know, transparently, you know, I kind of caught the bug early just by listening to podcasts like this, right? And just kind of hearing other people's journey that had figured out like owning multiple doors. You know, I think I started my my mission, which I think a lot of early real estate investors think about owning like a hundred houses, right? Like that's usually like some version of that as a starting point for like, I just gotta, if I own a hundred doors or a hundred houses, like, you know, I've made it and whatever, right? So like I started there. 
And then from there, you know, I started to kind of open the horizon, kind of, you know, channel back some of the stuff that I'd sawn for my uncle. And I was like, wait, there's different property types and there's different asset classes. And, you know, I kind of dove in, I just started, you know, I caught the bug, you know, opportunistic. I think I started buying my first properties around like 2010. So it's been almost a little over 10 years. Right. And so I'm kind of somebody that just learns on the fly, had no property manager experience, like outside of what I've already, what I saw my family do. Right. Which, you know, I'll be honest, like they don't do it the way I would do it. And so like, I, I, I definitely run a different shop, but you know, just kind of saw it like the plumber phone calls and the, this and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff happening. And I was like, okay, I see what this is about. And then, yeah, from there, man, I mean, I dove in, started doing single family and then honestly kind of shifted gears into different assets. We can talk about that and unpack that a little bit more when you guys want to, but like, you know, that was the very beginning though. Like that was just like, man, you know, I literally starry eyed. I want to own a hundred properties. How do I do that? Right. hundred doors. Um, I think my first year I ended up buying like six. So I kind of, I went crazy, um, oh, awesome. you know, and I can talk about how we funded all that stuff. I kind of did some creative financing stuff to get it done. Cause you know, I was, you know, I'm just, like you said, I'm just a normal dude. You know, I'm, the fact that I'm on here is cause all the cool people were not available today. That's why we're talking. <laughs> right? so. You're the coolest one, man. Like we're like excited please. that you're even on here, man. You're no, the big dog. Please. So, even, but you know, like, even. like while we're on that topic, could you unpack that early stages of when you, I mean, you yeah. said first year, six houses, that's a, that's a huge yeah. deal. So, so like, and if you, I don't know if you can recall this, but like, do you remember how old you were and like, what was the thought process yeah. and how did you, like you said, creative finance, that sounds super interesting. So. Yeah. That. So early, early thirties was when I finally kind of started acquiring. Right. And so I was 31 again, dating myself, you can edit all that out. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like early thirties, I started buying, I literally bought my first, like a house for myself to live in. And I had like pseudo house hacked that got a roommate immediately, put it on a 15 year mortgage instead of a 30 year, trying to be as conservative as possible, right? You know, naturally we have kind of insider access on the mortgage business because that's what we run. We run the mortgage company. And so like, I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, let me just give myself as best of a deal as I can. So that was my very first thing. So like kind of house hacked, had a roommate, he was paying down, you know, substantial on a 15 year, like helping me chip away at equity fast. Then immediately bought two rental properties right behind that. They were burr when it wasn't even like that popular, like right. I burred it, right? So I literally bought some like kind of slightly distressed properties, got a reasonable deal on it. I actually used a hard money loan to acquire it because they weren't financeable in the current, yeah. in the conditions that they were. Did, you know, I, I did the rehab out of my pocket just to get it up and running, got it rent stabilized and then ultimately refied, right? And paid off my hard money lender. Could, Each could, of those I, kind of happened you? within a... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like, you, you said Burr and, and like, that's a very, could you explain what Burr is yes. for people that don't know? And then also, how did you even, cause like I'm recently like five years of hearing what the Burr is and trying to implement that in my life. Yeah, as well. yeah, so, yeah, totally. yeah. Could you unpack that some? Yeah. Yeah. So it's buy rehab, rent, refi. So B-R-R-R-R, -R -R -R, right? So like, that's what Burr stands for. And so ultimately it's, you know, it works really well for properties that are, you know, a little bit more distressed or dilapidated or in poor condition. Traditional financing doesn't work on those, those properties. And the good rule of thumb, which I always tell everybody is like, if you can't walk in the door and live in that house immediately, it's probably not going to work from a traditional mortgage standpoint, right? Like simple rule of thumb, like roofs got issues, foundations got issues, HVAC problems, appliances missing, you name it, right? If you can't just walk in, then it's probably going to be hard to finance on a regular loan. Sure. But that's what the whole hard money industry is there for, right? Of course, it's more expensive financing, but usually you have margin that offsets that more expensive cost, right? I highly recommend anybody even trying that stuff to have good reserves and some liquidity and some money of their own. It's really challenging or risky, probably not challenging, but risky without some money set aside for a, pro, you know, kind of a fixer upper. But yeah, I mean, you know, I had enough kind of to get my feet wet exposure to it. Like I had enough, like I had a, you know, a vendor for this and a vendor for that. And I was like, okay, I, I think I can figure this thing out. So, and the two that I'd acquired early were, not huge like rehabs. There were like a lot of, a little bit of cosmetic, a little bit of like functional stuff, but nothing crazy. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I bought those two, it, you know, immediately started hitting like, you know, unforeseen problems that I didn't expect and expenses and all that stuff. Right. Cause that's, you know, you, you can, no matter what you do, you can't anticipate kind of what's going to happen, especially when you start peeling back the wall. Right. Right. I remember one had like, you know, out of nowhere, that we couldn't get insurance because the chimney 
like was about to fall over and so like they made us like repair that and i never even thought about having to deal with that and right. fixing bricks and all this funny stuff right so like that was just stuff we had to do right long story short on that front so like literally we got the rehab done took longer more expensive than we expected almost all like 90 percent of the time that's going to be the outcome right exactly. so it doesn't matter how much your spreadsheet shows you it's gonna be like oh you know, plan, plan for the unexpected. And then, and then, yeah, so uh, got good tenants in it, got it's kind of running, you know, started kind of getting some rental income on it. And then that made it a lot easier for the refinance because it had been stabilized, right, you know, at that point. So that's what, you know, banks look for is a stabilized rental property. And that just makes it more attractive from a financing standpoint. Obviously, in this environment, we're in kind of the wild west and new territory of like, interest rates and like, you know, banks failing and all this crazy stuff yeah. happening right now. But, you know, a good rule of thumb is if you've got good, reasonable cash flow against your debt, then there's banks that'll do loans on it. Let me ask you a question. So so you said you did about six properties that first year. Did you kind of just run with the same contracting crew? And, and obviously, it sounds no. like you had some tight turnover, right? Like you're talking about within months to kind of turn these over right. and refinance and move on, right? So did you kind of you have the same crew or how, how did you kind of approach that? You know, I've learned the hard way. It's really important to have many vendors for all of you know, the categories, whether it's the plumber, the electrician, the roofer, the painter, whatever, right? It doesn't matter how great of an experience or relationship, like, unfortunately, in that trade, they kind of either run into scheduling issues or life problems or whatever, and it, you know, derails our projects. So, you know, unfortunately, I have fired a many of crews kind of midway through projects, some just oh, wow. disappear on me. I, you know, one thing that I will stress is as much as you can, do not pay up front. Like just don't pay up front because I've already, I've had, I've literally seen the money walk out the door and I'm like, Oh, right. well that ain't coming back and it's gone. Right. So like, right. it's just, you know, that's one lesson. If it, if a vendor can't work under those terms, then they're just not a vendor for me anymore. Right? right. Like I just need somebody a little bit more stable that can front their own kind of stuff. Of course, pay on time, you know, pay well, pay right. That's honestly more important than like, the, the, you know, trying to haggle and get a good deal and whatnot. But, you know, when, when they expect you to get comps or when they're expecting compensation, make sure you pay them on time. That sure. keeps good trades with you, right? So just do right by people that are helping you out. If you're just rehabbing them, are you just refinancing, taking the funds and rolling it over to the next project? I assume that's kind of the, the, the methodology here. You try. I'll be honest with you. A lot of people have challenges of getting all their equity back out, right? Unless you really got a, a smoking deal on the front end, right? Because by the time you've, put some money in, stabilize it. You know, banks usually want to give you no more than 75 to 80% of the future value, right? So oftentimes, whether you expected it, your value to have increased so much by the work you put in, it doesn't always get all the way to the top. And so sometimes, like, I think on every burr that I did, probably left like, you know, five to seven to 10% in the deal, right? And that's fine. That's still amazing. You do an analysis based on yeah. 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 I mean, you know, um, that's why Burr became so popular because, you know, you're kind of leaving a little bit of skin in the deal, but then you've got, you know, hopefully some reasonable cash flow against it. So sure. when you do like a, what's called a cash on cash analysis, like, let's say you've got 20,000, but you're netting $200 a month in rental income. Well, that's actually on paper, a pretty reasonable return. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and not to mention all the kind of paper value that you're getting, you get appreciation, you get tax benefits, all those things, all the beauty of owning real estate, right? So, yeah. No, that's good. And I keep going back to the burst stuff because when it was not so popular, how did you learn about it? Because I know I, I learned from friends that were in the hotel motel world. And I'm curious, like, did yeah. you have the same experience or how did you even hear about the burr process? Pretty, pretty sure I started hearing about it on like bigger pockets types of podcasts oh. and things like that. Right. So like I was like a junkie for that stuff. I probably listened like yeah. north of 100, 200 episodes. Right. Sure. Like it was just nonstop. And, you know, each one would like give you a new angle of it. Right. And so, I mean, like I said, real estate's been in my DNA for, for lack of a better word forever, but it was just kind of me figuring out over time, like where I wanted to live and all, because there's so many options in real estate, right? Sure so is. it's almost overwhelming all the things you can do in real estate. So yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It's um, I'm kind of jealous because uh, you know, you figured out the burr process before we did. Cause I feel like we just learned about it like in the last five to six years, you know, like, right. and it, I think, yeah. I think it's just kind of taken like more, like it's kind of made it mainstream. I don't think it was called burr back then. Maybe you, I don't know. Right. It's, I don't know. Cause if you're talking about 
they, they just gave it a nice tagline to it man yeah, it was, yeah. It, it's been a, it's been around for sure yeah yeah the methodology's been there it's just i think somebody just coined phrased it right but um yeah. how much of the uh, 2008 crash impacted some of your decisions because i feel like you did some of your moves in 2010 did, did any of that have to do with any yeah. of how you kind of pivoted into investment or did um, you get some good deals know, based on that good deals are subjective like i'll be honest i, I totally missed the mark of like that windfall of like crazy good inventory that 09, 08, 09 kind of represented. 2010, especially in Houston, specifically in our Texas market, right? Like things that had already kind of like never, we never really saw real bad drop, right? It was more, you know, the East coast, West coast markets that really got hurt, you know, significantly because, you know, much like what we saw now, like, you know, values kind of skyrocketed a little irrationally. And so like, you know, for Houston was more of a correction, but yeah. So, I mean, what I did learn to do though, is like do my kind of napkin analysis and like figure out like, okay, is there meat on the bone here? Like figure out how to kind of do some loose comps, things like that. And, you know, for me, it was just like, I didn't really even realize what I was doing, but I always started kind of just targeting like build costs. Like, can I get this for cheaper than it would cost to build it? Right. And so like, that's a methodology that a lot of people employ now. Like they're like, you know, what is my rebuild cost? Things like that. And so I was, that's kind of what I was, my napkin math was, was like, okay, like, am I getting this at $60 a foot or $70 a foot? I remember that's kind of what I was paying back back then. You look fine that now, right? But it looks like know, 70 right? bucks a foot right. on single family rentals. And I was like, Hey, you know, and if I put another 10, 15 a foot into it in rehab, well, I'm still like less than a hundred dollars a foot and new right. stuff's going like a hundred, 105 a foot. Right. So that was just kind of the napkin version. And that's kind of how I did my analysis. And so that was what I called a deal, right? I was like, okay, if I'm getting it at that price, right, then I should be okay. Did you nice. did you use an agent to find your deals, or did you kind of like were you just scouring like online or like uh, what was um, the methodology there? I have I have used agents many a time. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I definitely peruse like the MLSs. You know, just that's my what's what I how I fill my board time, right? I'm just like constantly looking at like random properties. Yeah. It's got me in close to being in trouble a couple of times, but in general, like that's what I do is I just poke around and, and look yeah. at properties all day long. Right. And so it wasn't till probably what 2018 that I went ahead and got my real estate license just to have access. Oh. Transparently like I wanted um access to commercial real estate portals and there was there's like without a license it's kind of hard to get in there and so like that's why i did it i just wanted access to you know like costar and loopnet and a few of those things but yeah i mean now yeah of course we have all the access today that we we would need but i don't think it's a requirement i think there's great realtors out there that you can work with that really understand the nooks and crannies of lo hyper local markets and i think that's where their value comes like people always question like is it worth it to you know i can save the three percent doing it myself and stuff like that but i'll tell you like in some of our neighborhoods like there are some really strong agents that like literally know every house like the back of their hand they know the, the owner they know their story that stuff you will never you know you can't decipher that unless you've got time in that market right yeah. and that's where they they're the value is totally worth it like hey i know betty sue's about to sell next year maybe you can get it in there early and get a deal done. Right. And I can help facilitate that like that. That's invaluable. For sure. No, I, I totally agree. I've always toyed around with the idea of potentially becoming or getting my license, just same reason, just to be able to have access. But it, I always go back to the expertise because I, you know, I still have my nine to five job. So there's no way for me to have that in depth, like that rich um, knowledge of a specific area, just because like, there's no way, there's no time in the day to do that. Right. So Having someone that it's their bread and butter, like for me, it's it's invaluable. Yeah. And they're hunters. That's their job, right? Like they go out there and hunt, right? And if you don't have the time or the capacity, trust the hunter. You know, you will be fed. Right. right? That's, so. right. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, so you said that you were in the single family world for a bit and then you shifted into commercial is, or multifamily or, or how, what did that journey look like? And also oh, like, how long were you in the single family world and are you still in it? Maybe, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. So I got up to nine single family rentals before I started shifting gears into another category. I acquired those over the course of like three to four year span. Very, very aggressive the first year. Like I picked up six and then I yeah. kind of like, all right, got, got my bearings on that stuff. You know, one thing that I did that helped me keep my eye on the prize of acquiring or building a portfolio is I immediately hired a property manager. Even when I had my first two units, I felt like that was, even though, yeah, you're, you're losing a little bit of margin at the end of the day, that allowed me to focus on like building the portfolio and, and it kind of just 
acquisitions, right? Yeah. Otherwise yeah. I'd get bowed up in like tenant day-to-day stuff. And yeah. that stuff to me, like I just have no stomach for it. Hence why I've transitioned to some of the other assets that we're in now. Yeah. But like, yeah, it was just like a whole thing. So yeah, I mean, so I held on, honestly, I kind of unloaded the last of my properties actually not just recently in 2020, right? When COVID market kind of spiked, oh, I felt like, like I was catching the top, right? And so it's impossible time. It just felt like, pretty frothy right and yeah. i was like okay i think maybe i should unload a few of these and so we started getting some really good offers on it and so i that kind of wound down most of my single family portfolio i have most uh, have assets that i own myself and then the rest of it is with me and my uh, brother-in-law who's my partner okay. so he and i still own a duplex and another single family that we inherited through a bigger asset that it kind of came with a package i see yeah and then we i individually own one more single family so like four left right um, okay yeah, it was just kind of like a hodgepodge. Along the way, though, man, we did like five fix and flips, like just oh, never not non burr. We would just like buy rehab and then put it on the market to sell. Sure. So we got more and more confident on just kind of like extensive rehab, like we did all the way down to the studs on oh, okay. two, and so like that helped. And then I've owned a creative office space, like a co working building that was like a funky warehouse. I owned a retail strip center. I have a partnership and an office building still today. And then ultimately, we ended up getting into self storage, and that's oh, now that. our bread and butter primarily. And happy to kind of unpack any of that though. Oh, that. That's awesome. So it's not like you're no more single family. I, I just don't want to deal with that anymore. It's still something that's in your portfolio, but it's not like your primary. It's just kind of baking in the background. Yeah. I mean, if you buy it right, you don't really lose a lot of sleep, right? So like we made it made a kind of point to just hone in on good opportunities early on when we didn't have focus, right? We were just kind of buying whatever and sure. just like, yeah. you know, trying to turn things around. But now, in fact, we we fended off a couple offers to our, our duplex. But I remember, I, I'm happy to even share the numbers. We bought it for 135 for a duplex oh, in wow. like Pasadena wow. area. Oh, okay. So, and at the time it was renting for like 800 a door, so like 1600 bucks a month. So it was already a good deal back yeah. then, right? Now I think we're getting near 1100 a door for that same duplex, yeah. right? And so literally, <laughs> I'm not even joking. We literally, right in 2020, we were catching offers. I mean, people were trying to buy real estate like, like crazy. Sure. We were catching offers and we literally were like, like the DocuSign was sent to us to sign the contract to sell it. And yeah. then- I was kind of like, we were just talking, me and my brother, I was like, how hard is it going to be to find these economics again? Right. Right. Like we bought it for 130. Like, so yeah. Like 2000 something a month. Right. Yeah. We don't even have to think about it. Like it's too right. like easygoing tenants. The minute we have a vacancy, I'm not even joking. We'll have 10 showings the next day. Cause it's a hot wow. rental market. Right. Yeah. Wow. So I was like, why would we like, we're just going to have to find something else. Right. Yeah. To replace that. Like, so, so we literally like didn't sign. We had a pissed off buyer that was like, what happened? Like, I thought we had a deal. Sure. I was like, yeah, we just kind of thought about it. We're like, we're just going to keep it. And so the mantra has certainly changed from like buy and own as close to forever as possible. So we like okay. never sell. So now we're looking at assets that we'd be proud to own, right? Sure. Long-term, right? And so maybe more premium location, maybe like a better quality asset or, you know, sure. type of property, Versus like, hey, I'm going to have some like podunk, you know, rental out of nowhere. Right. And I have to like deal with, you know, worrying about it. Right. Um, yeah. I did buy one of those. <laughs> I bought a um, an old bank building for one of the big banks near San Antonio. And that was like the late night shopping that I should have just not done. Um, <laughs> it gets dangerous, uh, right? Yeah. I bought it. And then like 2020 happened, COVID happened. Or I bought it at the end of 2020. Sorry. Mm. And it was when like like a lot of retail was kind of dying because of all sure. the, obviously the quarantine life, right? So the banks were selling it off their books. Again, I think buying it, like the theme is buy it. If you buy it right, like you sleep at night, right? Like that's the way to think about it. If you buy yeah. it right, you're going to be all right. Yes. So like literally we had bought this building very cheap. Like, like I want to say it was $50 a foot oh, for wow. an entire retail building, yeah. right? So, you know, in that context, I felt like I got a hell of a deal. However, in the grand scheme of things, it was a really poor market and it was very rural and it was like people were fleeting the market, right? So even though it was a great deal, I was like, oh man, like, I I don't know how to turn this thing around. And so it's honestly sat on my balance sheet for almost two years and I couldn't get a tenant 
I couldn't, oh, I had no, like, and then like we did an inspection on it just to see what's going on. It was like going to be a hundred grand just to do the AC because it's a commercial now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a whole thing. Wow. So I was like, Oh man, what did I, what did I do? Right. Yeah. So I was like, Oh man. Cause I mean, knock on wood, I've been lucky enough not to have any major L's in sure. real estate. And I was like, here come, here it comes. And it's coming big, it's right? Big one, right? Yeah. Well, dude, lucky enough early, like mid late last year, the right buyer came around and it just worked out. We ended oh. up selling it for a, a reasonable profit from what I paid for it. And nice. then I ended up seller financing it. So we're actually making a, a return on fi the financing, which is oh. equal to what the margin we had on the property. So it ends up being all right. Yeah, <laughs> so, so it works okay. out. But but those that those the year, year and a half of just no one in there. Oh, it was scary, it man. Was right. I mean Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had all I, the, you know, vagrants problems and all, all kinds oh, of sure. stuff, right? And it was in San Antonio. So for me, like to go deal with it was already a problem. Sure. Right. So yeah. I was like, oh man. That's so I let I I definitely learned my lesson. I ain't doing that again. Yeah. But also that was because again. I was catching the shiny object syndrome of looking at other assets when I should have been just focused on our specialty, which is now self-storage. Oh, I see. Yeah. I, I love the fact you, you mentioned it earlier, but like how you early on took on property management. I think that's something I'm learning now because I, I always was of the mindset of like, hey, do it yourself and figure out how the cow is the cabbage, right? And then once you figure that out, then bring people onto your team. I love the fact that you did it early on so that way you could, your mind could be free enough to Hey, I'm acquisitions. I'm bringing in the stuff and then you manage it. Like having, have a good yeah. operator like that. That's awesome. I did have a question. You said you did a few fix and flips. What was the the drive to not keep them? Like just, you know, buy and hold, or was it just to get like um, some capital to, to do bigger deals? Yeah. Or? Yeah. We were trying to kind of stack our, our account first and foremost, you know, different mindset at the time. Right. And so like, it was just like, Hey, you know, also like sometimes there's a price that just makes sense, right? Like we did one over in Spring Branch and, you know, again, we bought it pretty, pretty right. And we were, you know, almost north of 50% return on our money in like six months, yeah. right? So it's like, That's awesome. yeah. sometimes you're just like, hey, just take a few <laughs> chips off the table, right? So, bag, um, yeah. but yeah, all we did was keep rolling that in to, to right. bigger assets, right? And so, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say that like in, in those specifically, I think our intention was never to really, and also the rental rate was another thing, right? Like they wouldn't necessarily cash flow well, right? Oh, because they were okay. a little bit more premium and bigger pro properties. I see. Like yeah. I, I like to get, you know, as close to, you know, a few hundred bucks a month net cash flow after everything. If I can, right. if I'm like break even, well, then I'm just betting on appreciation. And I felt right. like it was already top-ish, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's just keep it moving. I like how you highlighted, uh, you know, there's there's not just, it's, it's not all rainbows and unicorns every every time we're talking about real estate, right? Because there's, right. there's always that piece of, you know, you have to kind of make those mistakes, right? To push forward, right? So whether it's a bad buy or a perva did a buy now on a loop net deal or I didn't realize they had those options, you know, but no, no, but it's real life. Right. And if you don't fail, you're not going to learn. Right. So I, I really like that option of it. And then eventually if you hold out long enough, you know, I would say the trajectory of real estate, you know, over time, right. If you can, if you can kind of float yeah. your way through it, you know, you, you're generally going to win. Right. So if you, if you do your numbers, right. And you kind of analyze the deals properly, I know you said you're in the, in the storage space now, kind of primarily, yeah. you know, what, what do you foresee one to three years or what's your, you know, I, I kind of hate that question, but like, I also do want to see, Hey, in the next couple of years, you know, what's, what's your strategy? Do you want to stick with uh, self-storage or do you, you know, plan on going anything outside of those asset classes or you know i have a i have a mentor right now that has north of 5000 apartment complex units right mm -hmm. and so mega right and so he kind of has been coaching me around like just stay focused right and get really good at one asset class and that that way you have a better lens of what you're looking for right cuz like if i went and looked for a shopping center tomorrow and a industrial the next day and a hotel the next day and a multi like I'm you know I'm never a I'm never getting an efficiency right because like it's different trades it's different different skill sets it's different property management you know operations and so like we have to coddle together bigger wider teams or operational you know just activity versus like okay we're getting really efficient in one asset class so like we've set a mission between me and my brother-in-law, uh, my partner, like we want to get to 10,000 units of self-storage, right? So that's oh, roughly okay. like 20, 25 facilities, you know, depending on how big they go. And we've gotten really good at like, we can underwrite really fast because we operate now too. So like, 
you know, somebody could just tell me how many units, like, what are they asking, blah, 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 blah. And I can, you know, within a, a few hours, have an idea of what I want to pay for it and if we can get a deal going, right? And so I think that's much harder if you don't have kind of a centralized, you know, objective or like a narrow view of type of properties. Like, I mean, I know land guys, I know Airbnb guys, like everybody, right? I have noticed, don't get me wrong, there's always an outlier of somebody that can kind of do all of it well. Sure. I feel like those are few and far between and, and really special talented people. I personally have found like when I do the hodgepodge, I end up with like, you know, an asset that I don't want and just stuff like that versus like taking my off the prize. So, I mean, it's taken me years to figure that out, right? Like, it, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. Like I tried a little bit of everything also because I wanted to figure out like, hey, which side of real estate do I really like, right? Like I have zero interest in residential property management. So I, I don't see myself buying any more residential again, right? I just don't, that's not for me. Right. I have zero interest in like the Airbnb game. I know that there's great cash flow. Right. But like I have no interest in running a hotel. Right. Like I don't want to do that. Right. But that's just my personal perspective. Like I like that we have non urgent customers. Right. Like, you know, if something's going on at a storage unit, like we can set an appointment based on our convenience and solve the problem days later. There's no like fire drill, plumbing, or AC issues in the summer happening to us. Right. And so that's been nice, but it, everybody's going to find their own kind of passion when it comes to what asset they want to be in. But yeah, so like for me, that's been for now, like we're, we've got a 10,000 door goal. That would mean that we're buying hopefully three to four facilities every year. Right. And that means we have to acquire and offer and like really be focused on acquisitions. And so hence why we've started to optimize our uh, operations a lot easier when your facilities don't require a lot of manpower, right? Mm -hmm. And so we we use some technology, plus we use a little bit of like growth hacking type of stuff to run our facilities. And then the rest of it is we just focus on acquisitions. So like, you know, we have goals around how many offers we make a month, right? How many brokers are we talking to that have action, right? That is a funnel of acquisition that is our high, in our opinion, the highest best use of our time. Sure. So we just, you know, like, you know, constantly uh, offers. In fact, we're doing like one literally next week, right? And so if we're not doing that, then that goal of 10,000 doors is further and further away. Right. Like if we're, right. we're worried about broken gates and like, you know, like broken locks and things like that, it's, we're just not going to get there. You, I, I love I love that there's like systems in place that you're implementing to to make this stuff happen. You know, Sid and I are, are huge advocates of establishing processes and systems when you're doing it. Like right now, I'm only doing it for single family homes. And I totally understand what you're saying because like once I start diverting into other things, like if I didn't perfect this system yet, how am I really going right. to go, right? And so I, I just love hearing it because I feel like you've kind of danced on a bunch of, you did single family, you did like commercial real estate. Now you're doing like storage. I mean, I guess that would still be commercial, but it's a different sure. realm of commercial. And like, it's just, it's just really cool to hear the story and like, you know, seeing your goals. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Is, is it more, are you looking like lo locally or are you kind of looking all over the nation when you come to storage or are you, are you kind of broadening out your, you know, outside of Houston, um, I assume? Today, primarily Texas. Yeah. Texas. And so because we've created um, processes between the technology and kind of systems around like mostly remote management of these things. So my brother-in-law lives in New York, so he's not even local. Right. And so that was kind of one of the first thesis we had was like, hey, you got to run it from over there. And he's more operational and I'm more like acquisitions and deal and finance side. Right. And so like, that's kind of the, the breakup of our partnership, but then he has to run it from there. That's actually by way, the methodology. So he's not close to it. So we have sure. to get our, 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 you know, our systems down. Yeah, it like, it like forces um, you and it's to been working, it, right? it's been working fine. That's awesome. That's exactly that's, right. Exactly right. Let, let me ask, like, so I know with single family homes and e even like multifamily, you know, you could go on MLS and find it. H how are you finding these deals for like storage units or even just commercial property in general? Is there a different access point for that? Or um, I'll give you both scenarios of the two facilities we own right now. So the first one was sitting on LoopNet, right? And so it's kind of a funny story because usually self-storage is such a hot asset class that they don't sit very long, right? Because there's a lot of, and that's one challenge in, in the market that, or at least the asset class we're in is a lot of people want to get into it, right? And for all the same reasons, we love it, right? So it's like, okay, there's a lot of competition. So the first one was sitting on LoopNet and it was just, it caught my attention because it had been sitting for many, many months, right? And something just seemed like it didn't make sense. Like why would a facility that, you know, is kind of checks a lot of boxes of like kind of the DNA of a, of a facility that most people would buy because it was like a mom and pop run thing. It was like a kind of light suburban, you know, Houston market, so good geography, all that stuff. 
So I tried to call and I couldn't get a call back from the broker that had listed. So I called nothing. A couple of days later, called nothing. I was like, this is weird. I'm leaving messages. Nothing's happening. Right. Finally, one day I just get fed up and I just like hit the phone like four times in a row. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of a weird hack that we do is like somebody's going to pick up at some point. So literally yeah, yeah. that's what happened. Like the guy kind of picked up and it turned out it was like a, a guy that just had his real estate license that like posted it for his buddy. So oh, this oh. listing was just not getting a lot of attention or like the right, this is a value of good agent, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So, like this guy's not even really returning phone calls. Right? right. And so then all he did was like, Hey man, I just listed it for my buddy. I'll give you his number. You call him directly. So now I'm direct to seller. Right. Wow. So oh, literally. Awesome. And so I, I called the seller. He picks up immediately. I was like, Hey man, you know, I'm interested. He's like, Oh, come out, you know, come out next week, whatever. So drove out. And then, you know, we built a, you know, a, a good conversation, kind of understanding his motivations. Another kind of fun fact was that the listing had errors in it. And that honestly is big opportunity. If you sure. can, if you know what you're looking for, again, asset specialization, right. kind of knew what I was looking at. Right. And I was like, something's not right here. Cause they had mispriced it. It was like way overpriced for what, of the economics of a facility of that size, right? So mm-hmm. something's just not adding up. Well, lo and behold, it came with a house and two lots adjacent wow. that was factored in the price that this guy didn't really market correctly. Right. So when I kind of unpacked that, you know, I did some comps on the house. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's worth this. Okay, there's these lots that are kind of worth this. Mm-hmm. And then there's this, there's this main storage facility. But long story short, we ended up kind of working on a price, you know, based on kind of, what we felt fair market was this was a seller that was motivated to, you know, kind of retire and all that stuff. Oh, and that's sure. usually a good opportunity because they leave a little meat on the bone usually for the next guy. And that's where it worked out. So they were happy with us and just kind of helping them move on. They, the, the house specifically, they actually lived in it and managed from there. It was, you know, it had, you know, it was uh, deferred maintenance. It needed help. Again, we've had track record of doing that. So that was, that was easy. Like we're like, oh, right. house, that's easy. Right. And so like immediately we just turned that around. Now that's one of our rentals that we still have. Oh, that okay. was an extra like two, th- like 1800, 1900 a month that literally we didn't even like pencil into the deal. Right. So it's all and gravy. It was just like bonus money. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that's, that it worked out well. Now we had the two lots. In fact, we're developing one of the lots and then we ended up adding vehicle parking on the other lot. So that was another line item that didn't exist, right? Yeah. And it was not in our pro forma. So we got to kind of like two bonus revenue streams on it. So that was like, we really did well on that one. So that was online. The, back to kind of your question of how did I find it? The second one, so this is a blessing in disguise of the, the bank building. So my brother-in-law came down with me and he was like, oh, let's go check out your building in San Antonio. So like we went to drive it. And as we were leaving, we were passing the highway and we saw a storage facility <laughs> and literally there was just a sign. And so we, and it, it was just like the regular sign to rent. So right. I was like, Hey, well, let's just call it. So we called it. And sure enough, like we struck a conversation with the owner who was not motivated to sell at the time, but the fortunes are in the follow-up. So we stayed in touch with them. Nice. And so like six months later, he finally called us back and said, Hey, are you still interested? And so <laughs> then we just started kind of doing the dance on a deal and we worked something out. So that one is huge. It's 400 units. So like, it's the bigger, oh, it's wow. a huge you know, piece of our portfolio. Right. And that was like a very mature, it had a climate controlled. It had a lot of things that like our other facilities uh, not. Right. Gotcha. So like, I would say like ours was like the, the first one we bought was like minor leagues. And then we stepped up to the major. leagues. <laughs> right. Dude, that's awesome. Um, that's so cool. Yeah. So we just smile and dial. I mean, that's how you acquire, to be honest with you. We just make phone calls. Yeah. So, so you mentioned before about creative finance. Was creative yeah. finance done with any of these deals for the storage units or was that just both of them? Yeah. Wow. The first one we got bank financing for 80% of the note. Yeah. 80% of the, of the deal. Okay. And then the seller actually carried the remaining, like, I want to say 13%. Okay. So we ended up putting like 7% of the deal. It awesome. was, and it was crazy. And our, so our cash on cash is absurd, right? <laughs> we did have some CapEx to put in the deal the first year. So like, it's not like, you know, we haven't put more in along the way, but it's still doing really well, but from an acquisition standpoint. So we had a first loan from the bank, the seller carried a portion on the second lien, which we still pay that today. Um, And then both of those loans have a five-year balloon. So thankfully we're kind of fixed through this climate right now, but we still got to, you know, we've got a little bit of a ticking time bomb in a couple of years. So we got to like decide if we want to refi it now. However, because we're adding value, we're developing another building on one of the lots yeah. So the house is now cash flowing and then we've got new rental income. 
So we feel like we've already driven up the the value yeah. substantially. So when we refi, we should be able to get all our money back out on this one. Yeah, for sure. You're saying tipping, ticking time bomb, but it's actually like you you bought yourself five years of breathing room to figure out, yes. hey, what's my yeah. game plan? Like that's that's so yep. that's awesome. But man. don't that's sleep so on that, right? You don't yeah, sleep yeah, yeah. on it, right? Like that's you because that that thing will if you get too cozy and comfortable, that five years comes fast, right? So that's true. Yeah. But yeah, and then the second one actually, funny enough, the seller carried the whole note, so we have. Oh, um, wow did an 80% note with us. And so he's, he just had no plans for the money. He did really well for himself. So it was a, it was a multi-million dollar acquisition. So for him, it was like, I'll just earn interest on my money for a while. It's cool. The same thing. It has a balloon though. Right. So we're, we're very cognizant of that, you know, to be, make sure that we're ready to refi whenever the time's right. But same thing, we've kind of optimized the facility. We've gotten the rents up, we've gotten the occupancy up. And so we should be able to you know, pull a couple bucks out too once it's all said and done. Hey, Perva, what was the uh, terms on that? So you're talking about seller finance of uh, what was the balloon, you know, the, the balloon period and, and the rate. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah. So we, yeah, no, no, not at all. So the bigger facility, the, the San Antonio property, it's a five-year interest only note that balloons at the end of five years. And I want to say the rates like five and a half or six. So in this market, we actually- yeah. Really did good. really well at the time it was kind of what mar- rate market rates were at right but yeah and so we're not amortizing today but we've created value based on our value adds so we've created equity or our own equity and so we'll just refi one one of the times right into an amortizing note and so creating equity with commercial is something you could actually control yourself right by by what you just said like increasing rents making the property a lot nicer all those kind of things right so for every dollar net income you can make it creates twenty dollars in value, roughly, right? Wow. So that's why commercial real estate's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. So for every hundred bucks, you're creating twenty x that, right? So like, wow. you just want to keep, you know, pushing. So like this guy, like the thirty seconds of the story, he was a primarily a, a real estate developer, like like build stuff ground up. He just built this for himself as like almost like a pet project, and oh, okay. then he just realized he didn't really want to deal with managing properties, right? So again, he had his he's, he makes so much money on development. He just didn't want to deal with the hassle of running one. And so the facility was kind of underperforming and stuff like uh, that. And so that's where we saw the opportunity. Like, you know, the, the website was not optimized. They were, just didn't have online advertising, all these things. They, you know, they were pri- their prices were all kind of all over the place. So we kind of fixed all that and then got our occupancy. I think we we're humming at right, like right around 89% or so um, yeah. occupied. And so it, when we bought it, I think it was like 73 Okay. So, you know, it took about six months, eight months to turn it around. But at that, now it's it's performing really well. And right. we've not even really turned on any value add. For example, like we have a, it came with a billboard. So like we had to learn how billboard advertising works and things sure. like that. Like now we own a billboard business too. Like it just came with it. So um, that's awesome. But there's just things like that, that, you know, you continue to learn and optimize. I know, I know we touched on management on the, uh, the residential side. How, so how are you handling that from the storage side? Do you have a separate group of guys that actually manage the full, I guess the tech piece of it? I mean, the, the management, all that, how, how does that look from a storage perspective? So the software, honestly, it's like a cheat code because it's a hundred percent built around self-storage. Right. And so it, it kind of covers all the bases of, of operational stuff you need. And so like from rental collections to like move out notices, inventory management, your, your host, your website, everything. Right. So like, I'm not even going to act like we did anything special there. We just learned how to use the software. Right. Uh, But we're Indians. So that's not too hard. (laughs) So like, that part we figured out. So my brother-in-law kind of handles the day-to-day with it. Um, so like we're more asset managers from a property management standpoint. The bigger facility has a half a part-time person. Okay. And then the the one in Houston has no no staff. We just have vendors, right? So like we have oh, a okay. gate guy, we have like a lawn guy, like those guys. And so they're kind of our eyes and ears. Transparently, we immediately put up the one of the first things we do is put uh, cameras on all the facilities as soon as we acquire them. So that gives is, you know, kind of eyes on the ground at any given time, 90 on knock on wood, there's never been like a Mayday scenario with mm-hmm. people's stuff. Cause that's what we really house is with people's crap. Right. That's right, like, right. nobody's really stressed out or freaking out. Right. However, you know, you know, we've had gates go down and things like that. And so, you know, we have, we have staff on call to do that, but that's, those are much easier management pain points than like monotonous day-to-day stuff. Like all the billing is online and automated. Right. Yeah. Um, it even has systems where like, if somebody unfortunately falls behind, it auto locks them out. So we don't even have to do anything. Like, like it auto locks them out of their actual unit. Well, they can't even get in the gate. 
it locks them oh, out they of the can't whole get in facility. The gate. I see. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they're stuck. Yeah, so it's kind of. I mean, that that happens automated. Like we don't have to do anything. That's amazing. Because that was going to be my next question. Like, well, I, I guess how do you deal with the move in, move out process? Like, if someone's done, do you have boots on the ground to just go out there and say, all right, you know, yes. clean out your locker? Yeah. So usually we have a deposit that is withheld if they leave a dirty facility, right? So usually that's one control. But then secondarily on a turnover, we have a trade, like a, a vendor that will go and just, that's literally what we pay him for is just to do like a sweep and clean it out. Right. Sure. And then he actually leaves the next lock in the unit. So we don't ever have to like worry about it because then, then then the next person that rents, we just give them a gate code then they go grab the, that new lock because it's like tucked in the unit. And then they just use it to lock the thing. Yeah. So it kind of runs on its own. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's, that's really cool. <laughs> the next question is uh, if you lost it all and you only had a thousand dollars to start with, what would you do to get back on track? It's a good question. I thought about it because you give me like a primer to that. Right. So I would literally like exactly, this is exactly what I would do. I would literally buy a database of property owners. A thousand bucks will get you thousands and thousands of names and I would pick up the damn phone and start calling. That's what I would do. Cause that would be your highest return on time period. Like, and on dollar, right? Because I'll give you an example. The meeting we have next week for a seller of a very large facility. Now I'm creeping like, you know, and just, we just kind of leveled up on what we're trying to buy, but like North of $7 million facility, right? Okay. That happened out of just a simple database. And now we have like VAs, like our virtual assistants that make phone calls for us to set appointments within the, like literally I handed it to her, her first day on the job, she made a phone call and set that appointment. And uh, nice. so like, I don't know if the deal is going to work out or not. Like we have sure, that, yeah, but right? the opportunity, but right? we're the opportunity. Right. And so like at this stage, like if I, if I had to do, that's literally, I just smile and dial pound the phones. I think that's where you, where you find value direct to seller. You know, when you have agents on both sides, you know, sometimes it muddies the negotiations. There's nothing like having a face-to-face -face negotiation with a seller, right? And you're the end buyer. You know, even if it's not about price, it's just more about like, you know, a direct conversation, like, you know, like especially sellers of those type of assets for us, usually it's kind of mom and pop retiree. They just want to know that like they're handing the keys to not a corporation, like somebody right. that's just really going to like, you know, use it to take care of their family or whatever. Like that's what we do. Right. So like right. it pays for our, our, our life. Right. And so that doesn't convey through brokers. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'd be doing. I literally like buy as big of a list as humanly possible. Like I said, that would get me a lot of time and energy to just pound the phones and do that. There's plenty, wow. plenty of places. That's what I would do. I would not try and invest my way to, to like retirement. Cause that's, mm. you have to spend money to make that money and a thousand bucks sure. wouldn't take you far, but yeah. I'd buy opportunity for sure. A thousand bucks can get you a lot. That's awesome, Aperva. There's complete value in it. Like you said, get in front of an owner of something, like you have line of sight and real negotiation ability, right? Like to the person that's going to sell it to you. So no, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, your story has been awesome. It's just kind of see the growth pattern. Like it, it kind of show, it kind of reminds me of me and Saj too. And I'm sure a lot of the newbies that want to kind of get into it. So, you know, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, how can anybody get, yeah. get a hold of you? Are, you? are you on social media? Feel free to, you know, share yeah. any kind of, you know, contacts. Absolutely. So I think if you're not on Twitter, specifically the pocket of real estate or, or a pocket of Twitter called real estate Twitter, it's actually hashtag R-E twit t-w-i-t i know it sounds so corny when i say this but literally <laughs> that is like it's a magical place i learned about it in 2020 because i was always on twitter for decades and i never did anything with it and then i finally started to like figure out like who am i following what am i doing and i started kind of finding accounts that were real estate people and so that became a community itself so much so that there's like these conferences now of just people that are like doing cool shit on twitter in real estate Right. So a, I just, the reason why I'm sending people to Twitter first is because that it kind of forces you into the community. Right. Cause there are like some, like, I'm talking about like killers, like billion dollars under management and they're just like freely sharing. And they're like, you know, your approach, everybody's approachable and you're just getting, you know, you're just letting people spit game and you're learning every second. Right. So I'm a definitely self-prescribed addict of, of the real estate Twitter. But uh, so my, my Twitter handles at Aporva, A-P-U-R-V-A-212. You know, feel free to hit me up there. I can drop you guys my email as well. So you can have that on kind of your outro or whatever you want. So you're more than welcome to do that. I won't bore everybody spelling it out. But but anytime, yeah, I mean, 
I'm, you know, I'm an open book because I feel like a lot of people have been an open book to me. And so like, I feel like that's how I've been able to learn and, you know, avoid as many bumps and bruises as I can. And so I think, you know, I always say this to my staff and my team, right? Like, you know, you could probably go online and download the Patriots playbook like now, but I ain't going to make you the Patriots, right? right. Like our Texans are still the Texans, right? Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> at the end of the day, execution's everything, right? Yeah, so like, 100%. it doesn't matter what I say, or like, I could give away all the game in the world, right? But it don't, it don't matter, right? You have to get out there and execute, pick up the phone and make the calls and do all the things, right? So, and the average person just doesn't. And that's the challenge, right? It's like, I that's why you're it. never worried, right? I love it. That That is so true. And, and honestly, I, I, Saj, I don't know if you, have you heard of the real estate side of Twitter? I, that's the first time no, I've I, heard about I, it. I, I had no clue. I know that. I oh know my that. God, dude. <laughs> Thank you, man. Dude, <laughs> y'all, y'all are about to get rocked. Y'all are about to get rocked. <laughs> Warn your wives now. You're going to be addicted, I promise you. Because it's all real estate game. Like you just yeah. can't get enough of it. Oh, well, nice. so like you were kind of hinting at this already, but community really matters. And, and like, be, like for Sidhu and I, when we started doing real estate, we did it separately, but we just talked to each other. And hearing his story encouraged me to do more. And I think hearing my story encouraged him to do more. So we kind of, you know, it, like we didn't work together, but we teamed up like mentally to be able to say, hey, let's grow together. And so hearing your story is doing that for us as well. Like, it just encourages us, hey, there's a bigger world out there that we need to tap into. And so like knowing that this Twitter thing is out there, because even like bigger pockets, like when I would listen to that religiously and like just hearing those yep. stories, like kind of feed into me to say, all right, man, this is actually doable. This is a real thing that we could do. And so it's awesome to hear your story, man. I, I don't think we talked about it before, but you've got a couple of businesses. You want to like talk about that real quick before we, before we wrap this thing up? Absolutely. Sure. Sure. So my main bread and butter is a mortgage company. It's called Matador Lending. So we do all things residential real estate finance. We started kind of opening up into commercial. We do hard money lending for our fixed and flippers. So we support a lot of the investor community, uh, real estate investor community by facilitating flips for them. And we, we do that very relationship based. So we'll literally like, you know, we're trying to see you be a successful flipper. So we analyze kind of with you. Some hard money people are there just to kind of make that dollar return on their on their loan. We don't think of it that way. We want very successful outcomes. So when you keep winning, then you'll come back to us for more loans. We have a real estate brokerage team, right? So we do, um, if anybody, like we specifically, we work with investors because that's really, you know, our, our passion and my team's passion is all. The, so we, you know, we keep our eye out there for assets. Again, I'm, you know, I don't, really even play in this the single family space anymore but my team knows how to analyze we've helped people do, do the whole shebang like literally find you know an, an opportunity they rehab it then they convert it to an airbnb we help them list it we help them like all nice. the things right so so yeah i mean you know those are my two main businesses you know again the storage is a business in itself but it's more of a real estate asset right so sure. then we just invest i've tried to narrow it down as best as, as possible but you know that's that's kind of what my world looks like but happy Dude, to help anybody in the audience or whatever. We'll get your contact info and put in the show notes that people could, you know, and if you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast platform or whatever, and you have any questions, leave comments, let us know what you're thinking and we'll connect you with the Porva if that needs to be happening. You know, like we'll just make it happen. Porva, you're a rock star, man. Thank you so much for jumping in with us. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you on the next one. Thank you guys. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin. Be sure to tune in next time.